All right, babe, let's take a moment to correct our posture, take a deep breath, and have some pure spectrum CBD. Sure. Hey, sisters, CBD can help with acne, inflammation, anxiety, sleep, and so many other PCOS symptoms. I personally take it throughout the day to help keep my stress hormones nice and low. Not to mention, I sleep like a baby every night and I don't wake up fatigued at all. Now open your mouth, please, so I can give you a serving. Ah. Uh... Now hold it for 60 seconds. Head over to PureSpectrumCBD.com and use the code VILSISTERHOOD, one word, for 10% off. Can I stop now? Nope, you got 30 more seconds. Doctor said you got PCOS, now go on girl, just lose some weight. Till I took the symptoms into my own hands and reversed them naturally. So I became a dietitian to help my sisters feel the best they've ever felt. Take a step in my direction if you wanna prove them wrong control of yourself join a sister and a Welcome, sisters, to another episode of A Sister and Her Mister. Today, we have Dr. Laura Brighton with us. She is a naturopathic doctor, and she's leading a period revolution. She has a strong science background and over 20 years of experience. And her book, The Period Repair Manual, teaches women how to naturally treat their hormones for better periods and provides actionable solutions using nutrition and supplementation. This episode will be life-changing for you if you're having period problems. We'll chat about what the pill is doing to your body, her top tips to get your period back, and the top natural contraception methods aside from birth control. Welcome, Dr. Brighton. Welcome. Ha- Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, your your book, The Period Repair Manual, has been on our coffee table for the last few months as we've been like reading <laughs> it, like studying it, to like pr- also prepare you know this podcast as well. So... Uh, thank you for writing that amazing book. Great. Thanks so much. Yeah. It's super interesting for me because I've had PCOS for a while now, and I used to have really irregular periods and my sister has PCOS too. And she's in the process of getting off the pill and regulating her period. And there's just so many good tips in this book that can be easily applied to our lifestyle. However, it's not as mainstream when women who have PCOS go to the doctor and they're prescribed birth control or they tell their doctor they want to go off birth control. They're not really handed any natural solutions, Mm -hmm. of course, because that's not the gynecologist's specialty. But we're lucky to have women like you in the field, you know, leading the way and creating a path for us to learn more and take charge with our bodies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What pushed you towards writing a book about natural ways to regulate periods instead of birth control? My patients, my work with mm-hmm. patients, even though I love speaking, I love writing, my, my day-to-day work with patients for the last 25 years has been my first love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get to hear all their stories. I get to hear you know, what works for them, what doesn't work for them. And after about 20 years of doing that, I thought I just need to share some of this with women who can't be my patient so that they know there are other solutions that work for PCOS and also other conditions, endometriosis and other period problems like that. Yeah, that's like similar to why Talin created her Instagram was she saw many, many women like her go through the same problems with PCOS. So we, she wanted to kind of open up a, a pathway for people to learn and get better resources than, you know, what's been happening. 
For sure. Yeah, because as you've pointed out, there are not a lot of solutions forthcoming from the doctor's offices right now. I just wanted to comment on that, that I might just jump right into it, that being prescribed the pill for PCOS, in my view, is pretty crazy, actually. Yeah. <laughs> because um, I'll just say why, like, you know, the PCOS is a a condition of not being able to ovulate regularly and tending to insulin resistance mm. and contraceptive drugs suppress ovulation and promote insulin resistance. So even though they mask the problem by giving fake pill bleeds, they don't, and they can suppress androgens too. We can talk about that. Certain types of pills can, but they don't correct the underlying problem mm. at all. And I was so disappointed to see when the international guidelines for PCOS treatment came out a couple of years ago, that the pill was still, very central in that. Wow. And I just central. thought this, mm -hmm. yeah, I thought this is going to take a while for this um, to change, but there are, I'll just assure you, there are other ways of thinking coming, even in the conventional mode. I just co-authored a paper with a, a scientific colleague of mine, who's looking at, you know, non-pill options for PCOS. So there are things coming. And even in the international guidelines, I, I don't know if you know this, but for PCOS treatment, they mentioned inositol. Which oh, that's so good. Yeah, inositol has made it. It's crossed the threshold into what's called evidence-based medicine. Into so it should be there in the gynecologist's office, you know, looking at that and as an good. option. Yeah, and even yeah, even with PCS, they they the gynecologist's office is not really where this condition should be discussed. Anyway, it's an endocrinology condition. Mm. So for any of your viewers and listeners. If you're going to see a specialist for PCOS, it really should be an endocrinologist, which means a That's hormone a really specialist point. rather than mm -hmm. a female anatomy specialist. Yeah. Would they also prescribe birth control? Would you find that an endocrinologist goes the same route? My experience is no. So I work in, I live in New Zealand. I've worked, you know, a lot of my clinical years were spent in Sydney, Australia, where there were some actually quite good endocrinologist in this. So if my patients were lucky enough to get in with one of the hormone specialists, they would come back with phrasing like, oh, my doctor said the pill is not good for PCOS. You know, I've been given metformin instead, which I actually think metformin is a reasonable option. You know, we can talk better about it. Yeah. Better than the pill. At least it's exactly. trying to correct an underlying driver yeah. of the condition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you tell our audience, because I'm sure many women out there right now are treating PCOS with birth control. Can you talk more about what it's doing to our bodies as women with PCOS? Yeah. Well, as all women, you know, it's the, or the all women. Problem, yeah, no. It, and with PCOS as well. So we're in this, we're locked in this strange narrative or paradigm where I'm going to, I think in future, future generations will look back and call it the the strange era of contraceptive drugs that went on for 70 or 80 years I guess it'll probably be by the time it comes to an end mm -hmm. where these drugs and I call them drugs because they're not real hormones that are in the pill or the the ring or the patch um, they are hormone analogs that interact with our hormonal system they're drugs they sh they work most of them work by primarily by shutting down ovarian function, mm. essentially switching it off, essentially creating a temporary chemical menopause, which, you know, in men would be equivalent to shutting down testosterone 
and then replacing it with a drug that's kind of like testosterone, but a little bit actually like estrogen. And, you know, you just see how you go on that. That's kind of what we do to women right now. And so in an attempt to address symptoms, I get it, you know, the symptoms of facial hair and the symptoms of irregular periods, these drugs are being given, but they're not, they're not fixing the underlying problem. In the case of PCOS, they're often worsening the underlying problem. And then, you know, you eventually, unless you're gonna stay on those drugs all the way through till menopause, you're eventually gonna have to come off them. Mm-hmm. And the PCOS is still there. And in the case yeah. of some of the drugs, the PCOS is arguably quite a bit worse from having been on them. Yeah, it creates like a snowball effect. Yeah, and the other part of it is just the wording. I'm not, it's very important, words are very important to me. So one of my things I say in the book, and I just said today on Instagram again is, pill bleeds are not periods. So if the goal is to have a menstrual cycle, a regular menstrual cycle, which most women kind of want, they know intuitively know that's a sign of health, that's something they want. Having a monthly dosed pill withdrawal bleed means nothing. Like you've gained nothing. It's just a, an induced bleed. So mm-hmm. to, it kind of, even in the literature, even the official kind of scientific literature, they talk about Re, you know, giving a monthly bleed to reassure women, which is a false oh, reassurance. Exactly. It's, uh-huh. it's not a period. Uh-huh. It doesn't, you know, a, a menstrual cycle is a cycle in which ovulation was the main event. And you ovulate and then you make progesterone, which is very different than the progestin drugs in hormonal birth control. The beauty, the beautiful thing about progesterone, it's anti, in women, it, it, or it's, you know, women are the only ones who really make it, it's anti-androgen. So it has a beneficial anti-testosterone, anti-androgen effect. Mm -hmm. So actually having strong ovulations, regular ovulations and making lots of progesterone is the way out of PCOS for a lot of women. It's it's actually our progesterone supposed to kick in in our late teens, supposed to get to quite high levels by our Mm -hmm. 20s. And that is a self-correcting mechanism to, you know, correct an underlying tendency to progesterone. You can actually also take, or to, to, um, to PCOS, you can also take progesterone, which is interesting. We can talk about a little bit later in the Yeah. Interview. Well, women with PCOS struggle to make enough progesterone and yes. ovulate. Then you take birth control and that just strips you away from the opportunity to even fix that problem. Exactly. And you can just forget about it. It robs you, birth control robs you of progesterone. Mm-hmm. Just to say again, the progestins, the drugs in hormonal birth control are not progesterone. I, I feel like if that one piece of information <laughs> could get out there into the world, and even into doctors don't kind of seem to understand that, that would start to change the conversation around women's health. And I read in your book how progestin, which they're using in birth control instead of progesterone, like you said, actually influences our mood and depression. Yeah. Whereas progesterone would have uplifted your mood and made you feel less depressed. And this is part of the reason why birth control is affecting women's moods. And it's, and they're still not like coming out and saying it as loudly as we'd like them to, that birth control has such an influence on women's moods throughout over the years. Women take it for like 10 years. They have no idea that it's affecting them so profoundly until they get off. And it's like the clouds parted. The clouds parted. I've collected some of the quotes from my patients getting off the pill and different things they've said. Like I came back to myself. My favorite was I came off the pill and it felt like a curse was lifted. Mm-hmm. 
which yeah. is I think quite profound. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I believe, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the the birth control, the conception, the thought behind it was to kind of control, you know, birth birth rates. It wasn't really meant to like balance hormones and things of that nature. But that I guess became like the the um the strategy behind the marketing later on, correct? Yeah. Well, it was never invented to balance hormones, which of course, yeah. of course it was, I mean, it was invented as contraception. There's, you know, a bit of a history there, different motivations for that, but definitely it was, its purpose was to help women avoid pregnancy, yeah. which is achieved. But then weirdly, you know, decades later, we've got this whole narrative around it that it can regulate periods or yeah. balance hormones, which is absolutely crazy because mm-hmm. it can never do that. Right. Um, and the early doctors knew it couldn't do that. In fact, they, you know, they had to sort of be sold on the idea that it was even safe to take. Yeah. You have a great quote in your book that I grabbed and I just want to say it for our yeah. audience. Yeah. You said birth control is a relic from the 1950s when people had different ideas about things. For example, they thought smoking was okay. Why yeah. should we have to shut down our whole hormonal system just to prevent pregnancy? Exactly. That's amazing. That's, that was a great quote. <laughs> yeah. What are some other options that you would encourage women to try even women with PCOS? Cause it's so hard to ovulate and detect ovulation when you're struggling with PCOS. Yeah. So what type of contraception would you prefer or recommend? Well, yeah, we'll list, there's a few non-hormonal methods of contraception. It's where I always say at the outset, there needs to be more. We have a few non-hormonal methods and we need more. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact there's a big, actually, I would say gap in the research, like where have the scientists been? And there's different reasons for that. There's not a lot of funding for alternative methods. You know, they've, a lot of the idea seems to be, well, we've got hormonal birth control. We're good now. Like we don't have to invest in other methods, but there should be other methods. One of the examples I like to give is there, it hasn't come to market, but there's a drug that's been proposed that would work by um, altering sperm motility. So men would take it. It wouldn't affect men's hormones at all. It wouldn't shut down their testicular function because why would you do that? That's <laughs> cruel. Um, instead, it just works on, you know, more fine tuned for, you know, what's involved in fertility. I'm like, there could be so many different things like that, that could avoid pregnancy without shutting down the hormones of anyone. So I would really come to fruition. I would really like to see some new methods come. I think that they will come eventually, but currently just quickly, you know, because I want to make sure we've got time to talk about other things, but there are obviously condoms, which do work. I just, for what it's worth, I'm saying it out there because I have a lot of young women, at least in my Australian practice, who I don't know where they got the idea. They seem to have been told that condoms don't work <laughs> like uh-huh. condoms work yeah. yeah they have to make sure they fit that it's a good quality one that it's not you know past its expiry date and all those normal things but then condoms work and as i think it's reasonable to have the morning after pill as a backup plan to condoms like i think the morning after pill is just a big dose of a progestin so my thinking is if you have to take the morning after pill never or once in two years it's still better than taking the same drug daily. Yeah. Yeah. What about the Daisy fertility tracker? Yeah. Recommend that for women with PCOS. Yeah. It's in my book. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, so that, that's one method of what's called fertility awareness method. Um, 
based methods of avoiding pregnancy, which there's several, but Daisy is a little computer device. Do you have a Daisy? Do you have one? I have one. Do I yeah. use it though? Okay. <laughs> no, I go. need to start using it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's based on the idea that um, as women were fertile only really only one day per cycle, but actually six days because sperm lives for five days. So you definitely have to allow for that. So men are fertile every day. Women are only fertile for a few days. Well. So it's based on the idea that you can identify those days. You, I always say, I'm very careful to say, you need to take steps to properly identify those days. You can't just look on your like period app and go, oh, it says my, I'm ovulating approximately now. Like you cannot rely on that. You need to either learn how to do it, tracking what's called cervical fluid or tracking temperatures, which is what Daisy does Mm -hmm. and knowing when you're fertile and when you're not. And then the efficacy rate is very high. So then when you're fertile, then the next step is when you are fertile, you have to either abstain or use condoms or you know, or withdrawal, I guess, you know, those are the sort of options in that window. And then on the other days, when Daisy gives you a green light, you don't have to use anything, which Mm -hmm. is definitely an advantage. It means you're only using condoms some of the time. Well, Um, let's rewind for a minute for the women with PCOS who are struggling to ovulate and are having anovulatory cycles or irregular periods. What can a woman with PCOS do about it? And why are our periods missing? Because it seems like the second we start our periods, you know, we're 16 years old or something, and then it starts going irregularly. And then we're given birth control. We don't even have a chance to figure out what's happening. And exactly. we're, tr- we're starting to become body literate at 25 or 30 yes. way later. So can yeah. you, um, you know, explain what's happening? Yes. Okay. So as you know, in my book, period to manual, I come at it with different kind of functional types of PCOS. So the question is, okay, so you, you know, with, you know, you're not ovulating with PCOS often, obviously there, as you know, there's some cases where you can have high androgens qualify for a diagnosis of PCOS, but you are ovulating regularly. That's less common, but usually there's not regular ovulation. You know, the high androgens are part of that. The high male hormones are impeding ovulation. Those high male hormones can get set up in, from different ways, different mechanisms, right? Like there's a genetic component, there's what, you know, some exposure to environmental toxins in utero, probably. I think that's actually one of the big ones that's happening. Like as a fetus inside Mm -hmm. your mom, you were potentially exposed to what are called endocrine disruptors or things that alter the calibration of the hormonal system. That Mm -hmm. seems to be where the evidence is pointing, which is nothing your mom did wrong, right? It's just, it's just our modern world. So then, and also if your mom tended to high androgens herself, then that amplifies in the, so we are seeing more of it, I think generation by generation kind of amplifying. So if you've got that tendency to higher male hormones already, that's going to already kind of put a, put the brakes on ovulation, not completely. I mean, you can still ovulate, but it takes a little bit more, I won't say work, but like a little, you have to have everything else working really well to, overcome that obstacle of the high androgen. So it's about identifying why you're not ovulating. And in my subtypes, in my book, I go through them. The big one, of course, I'm sure all your viewers know all about insulin resistance is mm-hmm. a major driver of anovulation. So 
that needs to be addressed, reversed. All of this is reversible. I would argue that PCOS in its entirety is reversible as you can, as you can reverse out of the symptoms, you'll always have the tendency, which you might outgrow to some extent, but it doesn't mean you'll always have the condition. Would you agree? Like, you know, I think once you don't have symptoms, you don't really qualify for a PCOS diagnosis anymore. Right. I feel like that's my situation. However, if I start changing my lifestyle and going back to what I used to do, eating gluten, dairy, not managing stress, these are the things that really drive my symptoms. So it can just come right back, you know? It can. And I think a lot of women will, depending on the driver, you know, with the non, um, it's possible you'll outgrow it to some extent. Like as you get later into, you know, into your later thirties and forties, especially if you don't have insulin resistance, you'll probably be less and less prone to PCOS symptoms. I would think it's often what happens. So the drivers are, you've got an underlying tendency to high androgens for different reasons. Then the drivers are that I've identified in my clinical work are insulin resistance a temporary post pill situation, which of course ties into our earlier conversation, especially after um, Yasmin or Jospranone, that category of anti-androgen drugs, you can get a surge of androgens that is temporary, usually just for a couple of years. It's a long time. (laughs) Yeah, it is a long time. Unfortunately, that is a long time. Then the third type, which fits in very much to your work that I did, is what I call inflammatory PCOS. There's definitely a group, a category of PCOS where the main driver seems to be these, this kind of immune and flip type of inflammation that you get from the gut or immune upsetting foods like gluten and dairy. Um, certainly that in some women that seems to drive a higher androgen state. So that's what I call the inflammatory type. Then there's a whole other category, which you may have encountered with your clients, but like this adrenal type of PCOS, which is actually really quite different. They often ovulate regularly. They've just got, they're pumping out high levels of adrenal androgens. It's a little bit different. They can also respond to anti-inflammatory treatment, but they usually need some anti-androgen supplements in place Mm -hmm. kind of all the time. And that is that mention of adrenal PCOS just makes me want to say part of all of this process of treating PCOS is to really make sure you've been given the correct diagnosis. I, I just have to say this because as you know, <laughs> there's a lot of confusion around PCOS diagnosis and there are certainly lots of women out there who have PCOS and don't know it, and that's mm. a problem. And at the same time, there are women who've been told they have PCOS and don't. And some of them are listening right now, so I'm speaking to them. <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. One category would be, I, it's to do with the adrenal. So there's another condition called adrenal hyperplasia, which is the genetic condition, which causes high androgens. Mm-hmm. The doctors are supposed to rule that out and they sometimes don't. So if you've been, you know, really struggling, not getting results, just not, nothing seems to be working for you. That's supposed to work for PCOS. You could say to your doctor, have you ruled out adrenal hyperplasia? Just mm-hmm. checking like it's a simple blood test. Yes. Right. And then, because if that's the situation, you need to change course and go down that path. That's one example. The second example of women who've been told they have PCOS and they don't is under eating or hypothalamic amenorrhea. I have to say this because it it's 
not to overstate it, but it's a pretty disastrous situation if you've lost your period to under eating Mm -hmm. and then you think you have PCOS and you're eating less to try to fix the problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Do you see the problem? (laughs) They're never going to get their period. And it's, I see it quite a lot. And I, and so I just really want to mention that. And I just want to say the reason the confusion is happening is that some doctors, fortunately, not all doctors, but some doctors make the mistake of diagnosing PCOS based on an ultrasound finding of polycystic ovaries. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that. (laughs) As you know, you know, it's with my patients, I basically take the position that the finding, the ultrasound finding of polycystic ovaries means nothing, Mm. essentially. Anyone Mm -hmm. can have ovaries that appear polycystic because as you know, they're not cysts. It's just a high egg count. It's really just, it's a high number of follicles or a high number of eggs which are normal for the ovary, normal when you're young, especially. It's really just showing the picture of a cycle in which you did not ovulate in that cycle and make the dominant follicle in that cycle. So your ovaries look like you didn't ovulate, but it doesn't mean they won't always be, that doesn't mean they'll always be like that, right? Like you definitely having a cycle where you didn't ovulate just means you didn't ovulate that cycle. And hopefully in three months you will ovulate and your ovaries will look normal. Mm -hmm. So I really can't emphasize that enough. It's created a lot of confusion and probably, as you know, a lot of controversy about even the name of the condition, because the name polycystic ovary is in the name of the condition, which it shouldn't be because it's not about that. It's actually just a condition of high male hormones. So yeah, hopefully you said in three months, it can change the nature of your ovaries. And I read this part in your book, how you said it takes a hundred days for that follicle to mature and it needs the proper nutrition, proper insulin balance, proper lifestyle within those hundred days for that follicle to mature in and ovulate and have healthy ovaries. And women don't with PCOS don't even realize because they're not told this, that you can be healed of the ovarian cysts, Mm -hmm. like the string of pearls, these, you know, polycystic ovaries, it can all reverse. They don't even know that because it's so terrifying when they're diagnosed. And yeah. True. Exactly. What you said is exactly true. And I just want to, because again, it's back to me being very kind of picky about what words I use. Mm -hmm. They're not cysts. Mm -hmm. They're they're really not like, just to put it in perspective, there, there is such thing as an ovarian cyst, as you know, which is larger than normal follicle, which can happen for, there's all different kinds of ovarian cysts. Some of them are kind of more serious. Some of them are not so serious, but a lot of your viewers may have had an ovarian cyst at some point in their past. Um, that's not what we're talking about here. These are not cysts. They, re- they truly are just follicles or eggs, which are normal for the ovaries. So it's just a, it's kind of a snapshot count of how many eggs are you producing that cycle? And it means nothing in terms of this condition or this diagnosis or any diagnosis. It's It's just a snapshot that says you didn't ovulate for the past three months or whatever. I used to think when I was diagnosed, I used to think, because I had a ruptured ovarian cyst, 
that I had a bunch of ovarian cysts no. that were going to rupture. And then I was going to no. be sent to the hospital again. Like I had no idea what this looked like a string of pearls, like a string of a bunch of cysts that was going to rupture. Wow. I know Th- no, that's a that's really not common what it experience. Is. Yeah. I get lots of patients saying, Oh, just take it out. Take the cysts out. I'm like, no, mm-hmm. they're not. They're it's not. your ovary has eggs. That's what an yeah. ovary is. It's full of little, mm-hmm. if you want to call them cysts. I mean, eggs are cysts. It's yeah, it's a really good example of how one time you had an ovarian cyst, which was a thing, and then got confused about this diagnosis yeah. you were given. So I hope that helps. That's why in my book, I have a flow chart of what type of PCOS do you have? And the very right. first step is, is it truly PCOS? And mm-hmm. just to say again, PCOS is defined as, it's a very simple definition, really. It's a condition of high male hormones when all other causes of that have been ruled out and other causes of that could include adrenal hyperplasia, which we talked about. It could include thyroid problems or hyperlectin or the doctor needs to rule those out. Mm -hmm. And none of, I'm telling you, when I got diagnosed, none of that was (laughs) ruled out. It was just like, Oh, cyst. Oh, your ovaries look polycystic. Here's some birth control done. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so common. It's, concerning. And yeah. I mean, as you know, I, I, I work with lots of different kinds of period problems. I would say PCOS to me in some ways is one of the most heartbreaking in that such confusion in the, me- the messaging from the medical yeah, it really it's is. doing such harm, I would argue, and freaking women out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A diagnosis that, although, you know, real and you know, serious and needs to be addressed is concerning is not kind of what women are taking it to be. So Mm -hmm. yeah. And when you couple that with the diagnosis taking a long time to kind of reverse, like it's not Mm -hmm. a quick fix with PCOS. So you need like, we're talking about 100 days, but usually, you know, three, six months, maybe a year of changes. So that takes Mm -hmm. a lot of toll on a person who doesn't know enough already to wait that long. Exactly. And the research has shown actually that the anxiety, the mental distress that women go through because of the diagnosis is a concern. Like even, you know, scientists are concerned that that's, that this activism and, you know, I guess diagnosis of pieces is creating such arguably unnecessary mental distress. And also women thinking they can never become pregnant. Yes. Totally not like just completely not the case. Like most women with a PCOS diagnosis can become pregnant naturally. Like it's, it's, it's yeah, like anyway. maybe at the moment when you were diagnosed yeah. at the doctor's office, maybe that at that moment, you're not fertile, you're not ovulating. And that's, yeah. what, that's, but that doesn't mean in three months you won't be, you exactly. know, but exactly. then you leave there thinking that you're completely broken. You have no idea what to do. And it's just so heartbreaking. Yeah. That's it what is. they told you. They said, they told you, yeah. you you'll never be able to have a baby again. She oh, didn't say goodness. never, ever again, no. but she's like, you can't have kids, but she, maybe she meant that as right now you can't have kids. yeah but you need to like they need to explain elaborate yeah. something like bedside later, manners you, you went <laughs> yeah. back to the doctor later and they said what was it you're fertile as a salmon going up the river is that what yeah. she's, she's like you're as fertile as a salmon swimming upstream yeah so how funny those two different statements but yeah. like no explanation that that can actually improve mm-hmm. that's that's what we're talking about right yeah. here yeah and Absolutely. i remember going back and getting an ultrasound and she's like oh you don't have any ovarian cysts anymore 
And she was surprised. And I was like, why don't you know that I could have reversed it? You, like, yeah, now you're shocked. I don't have ovarian cysts. Like, yeah. what's well, they're not, they're not cysts. Sorry. They're follicles. You have it. It's like you have a different set of follicles this cycle yeah. compared to three months ago. That's totally normal because mm. the, yeah. the follicles of the eggs are constantly being made and then reabsorbed. And yeah. it's just a di- very dynamic system in the ovary. Yeah. In your book, you state that they're changing the name of, they're thinking of changing yes. the name of PCOS. And one of the names that they're thinking of is metabolic reproductive syndrome. Yeah, and I, I would love if they named it that because it yeah. makes it more, um, it makes women with PCOS feel like it's more about their metabolism. Their weight gain isn't their fault. It's not because yeah. they ate too much and they got PCOS. Like, you know, Correct. It, yeah. it really highlights the metabolic problems happening. Yeah, I agree. It's a hormonal condition that promotes weight gain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. For some women. I saw in the first chapter of your book, you talk about an example of a patient who had skin conditions like psoriasis and as well as irregular periods. Yes. And she went gluten-free and her yeah. symptoms resolved and her period regulated. I yeah. loved that that was in the first chapter. Yeah. You know me. <laughs> uh, do you often see this type of results with patients who go gluten or dairy-free? It, I, I'm trying to put a number on it. I would, it it's, works fairly predictably well when someone has a gluten or dairy sensitivity. Mm-hmm. So I don't want people to think that's going to be a foolproof fix right. for whoever you are. But mm-hmm. if there's evidence of particularly gluten sensitivity, either celiac or non-celiac gluten sensitivity, for those women, removing gluten is a total game changer for periods, like affects everything, goes really deep. Yeah. So signs of gluten sensitivity, talk about gluten first, would be psoriasis, like in that patient story that I gave. Actually, any autoimmune condition, which of which autoimmune is the situation where your immune system attacks your own tissue. It's actually pretty common in women. So another example is autoimmune thyroid or what's called Hashimoto's. So for any of your viewers, like if they've been told they have a thyroid problem, the very first thing to ask is, is it autoimmune? Is it Hashimoto's? Mm -hmm. Because that shines a light on the fact that gluten is a, not a cause, but a driver of that condition. And therefore gluten is almost certainly affecting periods as well. I'd say like a true kind of gluten sensitivity it's the minority of women generally in the PCOS population. I'm not so sure. I'd say it's even, it's not the majority. It's, um, Half, I don't know, maybe, maybe. two. Yeah. Probably maybe mm-hmm. like a third, I was going to say, or a quarter of women might need to think about that. The majority, sure. of women, mm-hmm. the majority of women with PCOS, it's insulin resistance. So right. they know that which is kind of the mainstream view. So they, and with insulin resistance, I just have to emphasize, it's really important to test for that. You can't just, assume this is what you definitely don't want to do. You don't want to say I have PCOS, therefore I have insulin resistance. And you don't want to say someone saw polycystic ovaries, therefore I have PCOS, therefore I have insulin resistance. Like that Mm -hmm. logic does not work at all. Mm -hmm. So the test for insulin resistance is to measure the hormone insulin. We talk about that in the book. Yeah. And not just assume you have it. So it's, and it's, it's, you can see it's important for choosing a treatment because if you have insulin resistance, then you focus on that. 
If you don't have insulin resistance, then that's when you're in the territory of thinking, oh, wait, do I maybe have that inflammatory type of PCOS that responds to gluten-free, dairy-free? Mm-hmm. And you can have both to and some extent too. Yeah. You, exa- yeah. yeah. You could have both and gluten and dairy yeah. can impact your insulin levels yes. as well. And it's true. It's just worth giving a try and seeing if it's going to help you. And it's yeah, one of the easiest ways to yeah, figure out what's happening. You don't even have to like, you know. I would agree. I, I mean, I'm a naturopathic doctor. So gluten-free, dairy-free was kind of our 101. <laughs> it's 101. Yeah, it's what we do for patients a lot of the time, just to kind of, not all patients, but yeah, it can be quite helpful. Yes. Oh, yes. Great. I think uh, one of the last questions we had was about magnesium. And uh, I think... Um, we're thinking magnesium is like one of the best supplements for PCOS. And so we want you to maybe expand yeah. on that for us. You had stated that it's the number one supplement yeah. for PCOS. Yeah. Yes. It improves. Well, it improves insulin sensitivity, like mm-hmm. quite dramatically, I would say. Um, and a lot of, a lot of symptoms that have to do with like, like menstrual cramps and like yes. with PMS and things like that. For sure. Like it's helpful for periods generally, Oh, and that that's, and I'll keep talking about magnesium briefly, but I just want to say pain because you mentioned menstrual cramps. So that's really good to bring up. One of my other messages is pain is not a symptom of PCOS. You, you can have both commonly, you can have period pain and PCOS, or you could have a condition called endometriosis and PCOS, but the treatments for PCOS, they can sometimes as a side benefit help pain, certainly dairy-free helps pain, but just to understand like if pain is your main symptom, there's something else going on. It's not just PCOS. So that's, I just mm-hmm. wanted to kind of put that out there. Yes. But in terms of magnesium, yeah, it's great for PMS as well, mood. It's, um, and it's safe and it's inexpensive and I prescribe it a lot. I would argue it has anti-androgen benefits. Mm-hmm. So does zinc actually, those two simple minerals can have anti-androgen benefits. So yeah, they're simple, just say again, inexpensive. A lot of my work, I've been wanted it to be supplements that most people can access and buy, and it's not complicated. (laughs) So magnesium fits that category. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, before we wrap up, I want to ask one last question. Yes. What would be your first piece of advice for a woman with PCOS who's listening right now? What can she do, make like an actionable step towards bettering her health right now? I have to say, confirm your diagnosis, like get a, get a, make sure you haven't been misdiagnosed with PCOS. And beyond that, I guess I would say, make a strategy that doesn't involve contraceptive drugs because they're holding you back in terms of recovering from this Mm -hmm. and probably inositol. Yes, Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. It's um, that's three things, but, and, and also just to my final message will be, and we said this earlier, but the closing message, it's almost always reversible. So trust your body, understand that, you know, it's a functional state that you can move out of mm-hmm. and have normal periods. Yeah. And normal yeah. fertility. Yeah. Yes. And uh, if people want to reach you or get in contact with you, is there, is there a resource that they can find online? Yeah, I'm easy to find. So my blog of which, on which there are quite several PCOS topics is my blog is larabryden.com. All of my social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook is at larabryden. And my book is period repair manual. Awesome. 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 We'll, we'll put that in the podcast description. So sisters, if you want to get in contact or go to the, the blog, just go to the description of the podcast. Right. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Yes. Thanks, guys. It was great to meet you. It Same was here. nice to meet you too. All right. Have a great day and speak to you soon. Yeah. Bye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come check out The Sisterhood. It's my monthly membership site where sisters just like you are learning how to move through the stages of PCOS. From stage one, cold and alone at the doctor's office, to stage five, nailing the PCOS lifestyle, gluten and dairy free. Get ready to finally feel in control of your body again.